Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. I have an extra special guest today. Her name is Dr. Marnie and is the author of a four-book series called Truer Deceit, False Love, which is to help survivors cope and heal. I've asked her to come on today so we could talk about a little bit about domestic abuse, but most importantly, parental alienation, because it is just such a huge topic when it comes to abuse victims and sex trafficking victims. So I hope you all give her a very warm welcome. How are you doing today? Oh, hey, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast and, and just taking the time out of your life to hear what I have to say too as well. My life isn't all that interesting, but <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so um, where did you want to start? Did you want to talk about your experience with the abuse? Well, you know, um, we can start anywhere that you want. I mean, just like um, other ab abuse victims, and yourself included, years and years can go by without you really knowing you are in an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was going along life, just living the American dream, thought I was happily married, you know, in a perfect neighborhood. I had a wonderful job um, and, and a career. And, um, I knew that there were some red flags, but just like many of us, we just ignore the red flags and we just go on in our lives thinking that, you know, this is, I'm in a good situation when really, you know, it's almost like you're trying to talk yourself into mm -hmm. that, you know, you're in a good situation when you know, maybe some things are not that good. Well, I so, feel like. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I no, feel like with the right. red flags is like you expect it to be like bang, 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 bang. Like they're all going to be so obvious right away, but it's really not that way. It's like the red flags surface every couple of months. So it's easy to kind of ignore it in a way. Right. You're so very right with that because, you know, abusers are master manipulators. You know, they probably chose you as their victim, as their target before you even got into a full relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And so they, they look for people that might've had some trauma in their own lives, might've come from a broken home or a dysfunctional situation. So that's something that they kind of look for. Um, they look for honest, loving, caring people you know, mm -hmm. and they will test your boundaries throughout the whole relationship to see how much you will put up with, you know, or, or they will reveal themselves, you know, intermittently. Um, that's why they, they talk about intermittent reinforcement. So sometimes there can be some very good times where you feel loved, you are given gifts, you know, you kind of feel like you are um, even a soulmate with this, with this person. Yeah. If it's a romantic situation, there's, there's also abuse that happens, of course, within families or friends or in the workplace. Um, but my light bulb finally went on after 27 years of marriage, when my abuser, my ex-husband confessed to some extreme wrongdoings. I mean, like, I, it was shocking to hear some of the confessions that he made. 
and and some of the actions that he did and that it took it took that many years and for just a final it was very unintentional i think for him to even say what he did and um but it that was when i finally paid attention and then you could go back you know because it takes years and years and maybe even a lifetime to recover from being abused you know whether it is sex trafficking or whether it is domestic abuse narcissistic abuse whether it's parental alienation whether you realize that your own family could have been involved in setting you up for the life that you ended up leading um which you know most of us if we eventually do some of the inner work to try to figure out what why were we targeted you know um and what role did i play in it well first of all bottom line the victim doesn't play a role except for being a victim they do not contribute to you know um being abused um and i hate when i I hate to say the word hate, but boy, does it really bother me when, when I hear people blame the victim, like, what did yeah. you do to get them to hit you? Or what did you, I remember too, it was a very sad situation in our, in, in my high school, there, there was a classmate of mine that went out with some friends across the, the state line uh, to go out drinking and she ended up being targeted by an individual that was there at the bar and he followed her home and he ended up raping and murdering her. Oh my and God. Um, it was a devastating situation, of course, for that family, for that girl's life being cut short. Um, and things like this just didn't happen in our town. Yeah. But I will tell you, I can't, there were so many times that I heard classmates say things like, well, she always dressed provocatively. She probably mm -hmm. was asking for it or something like that. She was a beautiful girl. She was absolutely beautiful and, and looked gorgeous in anything that she wore. You yeah. know, even if it was a turtleneck and jeans, she looked beautiful. And, um, but the way a person dresses, you know, does not give someone the right to rape them and murder them. And yeah. so that was, that was, you know, when I was looking back at, you know, my own intergenerational abuse that I believe happened, that kind of set me up to be such a target for an abuser. You know, it made me an overgiver, trying to please others, you know, just, um, turning, turning a blind eye when I would, you know, see bad things or whatever, you know, I, I was slowly losing my voice, which, which I think happens to targeted people. But I remember distinctly with this situation in our high school that just, I could not believe the comments that mm -hmm. classmates were making as if this beautiful girl had, had, some responsibility to bear for what happened to her. Yeah. And I get a lot too. Um, the one question that irks me is why didn't you leave? Right. And it's like, well, with my parents, there's this huge misconception that just because I turned 18, that I would be able to leave, but I had no job, no credit, no identity because 
they kept all of that. But with my ex-husband, it was like, go from getting, you know, hit every couple of months to go back to getting sex trafficked. So, I mean, what choice is that? Right. So it's, it is difficult, but it is. And I, I say it all the time in my other episodes that it's just the survivor world is so toxic. And I think that these kinds of things people don't fully understand. And that's what creates such toxicity among the survivor like world. Cause it's, you know, it's really not a safe place. It's even hard to speak out. I mean, I get terrified all the time, you know, it's, uh, right now it's like really windy out and my, the door to my apartment building slams and I get terrified every time it does. I'm like, well, who was that? Is that someone breaking in? It's like, it permanently changes your life. Like you're constantly in fight or flight, even though you're supposed to be safe. Right. And, and actually years after, you know, even though like in my case, I've, I've created a beautiful life. I've moved from the Chicago suburbs um, out to the Caribbean. I've retired from a very successful career and um, I've just found, you know, so much joy and happiness. But at the same time, you have to constantly be vigilant because mm-hmm. you you know you've already, whenever you let your guard down, then you you know there's something around the corner. Like I even I filed for divorce from my ex-husband in 2013, and he is still taking me back to court. And we didn't even have minor children at the time, but he just wants to, and abusers want to keep the connection. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's a negative connection, they they are obsessed with you. And mm-hmm. you know, even if they are successful in killing you, which is always something to be concerned about, um, or they would hire, they wouldn't get their own hands dirty, but they would hire someone oh, yeah. else to, to take you out. Um, even then they would probably continue to keep up whatever narrative, whatever story they have and yeah. kind of play the victim for themselves. And I actually, when I was served these latest court papers, which is just really, I'm, I, he's, he's mm-hmm. continuing to do this. He actually put my physical address on the um, papers. And I live in the middle of the rainforest where no mail comes. We don't get deliveries or anything where I mean, monkeys don't drop off. You know, well, there's no monkeys on this (laughs) island, you know, no, but nope, they don't. And um, but he had to go to a lot of trouble and I'm sure called on the many um, top connections that he has to be able to get my unpublished address I make sure that my name is not on anything yeah Uh, not even the car I own not even the car I own I don't even it's it's nothing is in my name um because you know when you realize you're with a very malevolent calculating Mm -hmm. abuser they will they don't stop at anything so here I was I so so just by chance I was able to um get a random email to realize he was suing me and taking me to court. But just my heart stopped when I saw that, you know, um, my actual physical address was on there because nobody knows that. I mean, no, nobody does. And so, um, and they love that, you know, um, I'm sure my ex-husband is listening to this as well as all of my podcasts, because he's obsessed with me, but <laughs> he, you know, they love the fact that they can still control you and still yeah. put you in a fear state. But, but the reality is, is 
I've worked through so much of this trauma and I really don't think about him much at all. And, you know, I have to do the, the, I have to respond to these legal things. And, you know, and of course they're all filled with lies and false information and Mm -hmm. even documents that are not related in the hopes that I, I think the plan was that I would never be served and he could just kind of do all that legal stuff without me even knowing. Yeah, well, that's that's actually similar to what my ex-husband did. So we separated in 2007. I finally was able to find his address and serve him the divorce papers in 2012. And he was he's like, what, what what's the rush to get divorced? I'm like, we've been separated five years. Right, right. And then it's like even after we did and we just did a simple divorce we didn't even include custody or anything but I like went a lot because he has custody of my kids and I went to log in to pay my child support and I'm logged out of my account I called up the courthouse he has been serving me paperwork for custody and child support to my parents address And since my parents aren't returning it as I don't live there, they're considering me served. So there's like all these changes made and I don't even know. And I told, and they said, the only way that I can do it is to send them my physical address and a copy of my bills. And I said, I'm in the address confidentiality program. So it's a PO box. They won't send it. So it's like, you know, right. It's almost like the system you know, the, I call it the unjust system because yeah. it's not really a justice system, but is set up almost to protect the abusers. And yeah, and when it either that the, it, the it, real victims, they are re-victimized with the legal system. It's either that, or it's, they just know how to manipulate the system so well. It's that, a combination, I think. And, yeah. and abusers just love that whole drama, you know, the chaos that, that is, their, you know, the courtroom is their playground. They just love it. And, and abusers, especially like people that have narcissistic qualities and are very covert in their behaviors and have these very high positions and are well-respected in their community and that type of thing, you know, they can appear, they're like actors. They wear a mask. In fact, in fact, my five, it's, it was a four book series. Now it's a five book series called oh, nice. Truth, Deceit, False Love. And every single image on the cover is of an abuser with holding up a mask and the mask is slipping because these people can hide behind a false persona, a false image, but mm-hmm. we know behind closed doors what they are really like and so when it comes to the courtroom they are calm cool and collected yeah. when when the abusers have been so traumatized we may not come off as as uh so put together because our lives have just been shattered yeah by- I, know, I know when i went and got it, the extension on my restraining order against my parents I have you ever seen the movie Eight Mile? It's about Eminem's story. No, oh, I sh- I wanted to see that. I haven't seen it, and maybe that'll well, be our movie night tonight. <laughs> I watched it, and I won't tell you what the ending is, but I got inspiration from it when I went into the courtroom. I said I was like, he's going to tell you that I have bipolar disorder. 
here's a letter from my psychiatrist that that's not true. He's going to tell you that I was kicked out. Here's emails of him begging me to come home. Like I thought of everything he was going to say. And then I contradicted it before he got a chance. It got to the point where he just called me a really bad word that begins with the letter C and just flipped out in court. And the judge almost held him in contempt. He's like, if you look at your daughter again, I'm going to put you in jail. But it was like, I didn't realize I was going to push the buttons that I did. I just thought I was going to beat him at his own game. Yeah, they don't like that. No, and, but you were prepared. Good for you. And I'll tell you, you know, myself, I was not prepared. I can't tell you how many lawyers that I have gone through um, that, you know, ended up being ineffective or not, not understanding of the situation. And, you know, they, they, they just even re-abuse you in that situation. So good for you that you, yeah. you actually, you know, called them out before, it even happened because, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's unfortunate. We are not criminals. We are not bad people. No, we are not abusers, but in some ways, at some point in our recovery, we need to kind of try to think like an abuser or a criminal. Yeah. So to sort of know what their next move will be. And it's hard to take yourself there too. Very much so, because that's not that doesn't make up the fabric of who we are as individuals. And so it's very hard to go there and try to put ourselves in their shoes. And, you know, uh, and and you don't want to be like them. You know, you still want justice to prevail. And and I've always been one of the biggest faults I've had, I guess. But I don't really look at it as a fault is I'm honest. I just believe in honesty and truth. And, you know, unfortunately, not everyone cares about the truth. No. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. But I know I was, but- I was blown away during my custody trial because his attorney, <clears throat> excuse me, when I got on the stand, he was like, did you or did you not make false accusations against my client? And I said, I did not. And his response was, oh, so you never called the police on him? I said, I did. And he's like, but you just said you didn't make false accusations. And like, he kept going back and forth. And I finally, I was like, listen, I, I know what game you're playing, but it's not going to work. No, I didn't make false accusations. Yes. I called the police. Those are two different things. Yes, he was found, are. he was found guilty and pled guilty on all counts. So no, they weren't false accusations. Yes. They were accusations that were proven to be true, but it's like, I try to sit here and think like, how can a lawyer do that? (laughs) Right. But they do, they Mm -hmm. do that. And, and, you know, and not every lawyer is ethical. You know, I, I think I've met only one and that's, you know, the current person I'm working with that really seems to be someone that is, you know, believes in truth prevailing and, and following facts and following court orders and documents yeah, um, my attorney advised me that the only way I could get my kids back is if I moved back to the town and lived in the same like in the same town he lived in. I'm like, so basically live close enough that he can, abuse you know, you, abuse right? me. Yeah, I was right. like, that's how I get my children back. I have to choose between my life. So she obviously was fired for yeah. obvious reasons. Right. But it right. is it's. And that's why I wanted to talk with you about parental alienation is because there's 
I mean, everyone keeps saying, and I see it online all the time, that it's a woman's country. Like the women will always win, but it's every single sex trafficking or abuse victim that I know does not have custody of their kids. And then it's like, well, why doesn't she have custody? Obviously, there's a good enough reason why she, the mom doesn't have it because they always favor the mom. I'm like, that is so far from the truth. And, you know, I'll tell you, there was probably a time many, many years ago when, when that could have been the, the case where women were favored, but back then there weren't these court cases and divorces. Mm-hmm. People didn't get divorced, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and then there was, was the whole father's rights movement, which mm-hmm. I understand, I understand. And there are many wonderful fathers out there that would never harm their kids, but are being accused by a malevolent ex-wife who wants to just try everything they can to get their their ex-husband in trouble with the law, get them locked up or whatever. So they will do some false accusations. But I will tell you in my you know years of experience with with parental alienation, first of all, understanding what it is, and yeah. then knowing that that was part of my domestic abuse, and then um, connecting with so many people, including top researchers on parental alienation, um, that it is not necessarily a gender specific situation no. at all. But I will tell you, there are many more moms I am hearing about and reading about that have lost custody, that have um, lost their children. Um, in my case, you know, I lost two adult children. So yeah. like I choose to get divorced from my ex-husband until my kids were 20 and 23. And you would think that they could, you know, they would know, they saw with their own eyes, the dynamics of their parents, that the actions speak louder than the words. And, um, and in my case, I believe both my actions and words were just of that of love and support and, you know, very um, caring parent, normal range parenting, that type of thing. I didn't realize though, these abusers sabotage you and undermine you mm-hmm. as a parent, not only to the kids, but to your neighbors, to your own family, uh, to they try Friends to get you too. fired from your job. They get you so upset emotionally that you start having physical issues. And they, little by little, you are gaslit to believe Mine that- got me arrested. Yeah. And, you know, that happens. <laughs> and I actually, and the, as sad as it is, I got, I basically, I found out that he allowed contact with my daughters and my dad. And I said, if you ever let that happen again, I'll kill you. I was so angry. And I got two years probation for saying that on a phone from over a thousand miles away. Right, right. But like you were really, and people use But he that only time. got a year probation every right. single time he put his hands on me. Right. I said it's, just, the, it's just not fair. It's no, just it's not, you know, not. you can't, you just have to realize that the, the system is not fair. And at some point, you know, when you can get yourself to a place of safety or change or re- remove yourself as much as you can from the situation, the scars will always be there. I mean, I am still alienated. It's been eight years and I'm still alienated. Um, 
have no contact. And of course, they they make sure that legally, if you were to reach out and tell your child you love them or you miss them, yeah, you could be arrested for that mm-hmm. because that's they set it up that way. Yeah. Um, Fortunately for me, my daughters now are one of them is an adult. She's 19. The other is almost 16. So they're at the age where I am allowed to have contact with them. But um, it was years and I and the damage has been done. I mean, yeah. And I never realized. And that's why I think like parental alienation is such severe abuse because it's not only abusing the mom or the father, but it's also abusing the kids because now they're telling me the things that they were told and I'm like, what? Right. I'm like, and I, I wish my mother were alive today because I finally at age 60, I'm putting it together that my, my dad was extremely abusive to my mother and she tried to commit suicide numerous times. Mm-hmm. And when, when we were just little kids, I mean, what regular normal mother tries to kill themselves several times you know unless something is really happening you know and yeah of course the narrative was that oh she's so mentally ill or she's got this problem or her family is this when really she's that bipolar that right that was the um yeah I think in her age you know it she it was called manic depressive or something like that but they always had it was like, they always had, they had me like gaslighted. And even the psychiatrist had me gaslighted into thinking I was bipolar. And I, oh, I they never... want to label you. They want to label you. And, you know, and, and actually, you know, you, oh gosh, it's just, there's so much I could go into here, <laughs> but I really feel that, you know, there were many times my dad alienated us kids from our mother but then I also believe at some point my mother did some alienation of our father and, you know, but whatever it was, it was extremely toxic and it's, and I wasn't aware of it at the time. I knew I came from a divorced family and that it was high conflict and, and, you know, but it's not until I'm 60 and I experience alienation from my own children and my mother is not here to ask any questions to say, I really feel like I'm starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together now. And it's it's heart-wrenching because I've had to make some choices in my life recently about you know how much contact I want with some of these family members, or do I even want any contact with them? Yeah. And and I've really come to the realization that I just I need to follow my gut feeling about what's going on and how I respond and not just react. I need to think about it. Luckily, I have a wonderful life partner who is extremely supportive. He really understands and he knows all the players. He knows all of them um, and knows the situation and actually has had some of his own family situations to kind of bring some experience to the table to these discussions. But, you know, I just feel like, you know, I have to finally take care of myself. And at at some point, I need to not put myself in situations that are going to um, cause me tremendous pain. Because, you know, when you have realized you're a victim of abuse, and you're on your way to being a survivor, 
and eventually a thriver, which I feel mm-hmm. like I'm at that point now, eventually, um, you lose so many people along the way, even close friends that you thought were supportive and understanding really don't have a clue. My and best, my best actually- friend that actually went to the hospital with me is now married to him. I'm wow. like, wow. And I had another girl that I was really close friends with. I can't remember what I wrote on my daughter's Facebook, but she said I was a bad example to my daughter and I shouldn't be in her life. I'm like, do you think I didn't see the pictures of when he threw you through a wall? Did you call the police when my daughters were there? Uh, You want to talk about a bad example? Right. It is. It is. It's tough. But isn't it shocking that sometimes like, and I, I, lost a best friend as well. I mean, I chose to leave that best friendship. And, and in some ways that was harder than even leaving my abusive 27-year marriage. It's because, you know, your, your trauma bonded with these girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, like, think- I felt like once I saw it for what it was that everybody else was going to. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, so we had holes all over my apartment. And this was before I had any of my daughters. And I mean, he would throw me through walls. He would toss me around. He would lock me in the bedroom. And it's like, there's so many people that witnessed this. And I'm like, did they really think there was nothing wrong with it? And now that one best friend is married to your Mm ex-husband. So yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking. And threatened by me because she thinks I want him back. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I'm like, no, no. They probably deserve each other, but it's a shocking <laughs> reality when yeah. you have a friendship that you thought was solid, you know, that really turns out not to be. And, you know, these friends also, their mask slips unexpectedly too. When all of a sudden, if you're paying attention, you can really see someone's true colors. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have to go back you don't have to, but it's very helpful to go back and you can pick up other situations that have happened throughout your whole life that really should have been red flags that you pay attention to. So like, you know, when you were talking about you want to bring awareness to some of these red flags, it's isolation, it's controlling your money, it's um, gaslighting you to make you believe that you're not worthy or capable. It's actually... Even- have a checkbook, you know, because you're not even smart enough. It was actually when, when I went to the support groups after me and my ex-husband split, it was the controlling of money that woke me up to something was wrong with my parents because all my child support, all my money was in their bank and I had to ask permission for it. And I was given like 20 bucks a day to get a pack of cigarettes and gas. And it's like, when I read that, I was like, like all the blood drained from my face. I'm like, what? Right. And actually money, financial abuse is actually a huge part of it. And we oftentimes don't really connect the dots that that is part of the abuse until Mm -hmm. after we have been long gone and we realize we have no house, no money, nothing. And, you know, and and in my case, I believed I, I made a very good salary as a teacher and he made double my salary. And, um, you know, I was always made to believe we didn't have much money. So like, even when mm-hmm. the cabinets in the kitchen broke down, I just looked up videos on how to do this open cabinet look and make things look really good, you know, just because 
I I didn't think we had money to get a new cabinet or something. Oh, I know. Like he led me to believe, like he was a carpet installer. Uh, so he would install like flooring. It, honestly, I hate saying it, but he is like the best I've ever seen. I've mm -hmm. seen him walk in an apartment, walk outside and cut everything perfect for the room, right. like just right. off by. But he had me believing we only made like two or $400 a week. And I'm like, that's not right. No, no. And they, and they do, they, they, and these people have their own addictions, whether it's pornography, gambling, mm -hmm. whether it's um, just Drugs. hiding money away. It, and yeah. some people find out that, that their husband has another family while they mm -hmm. are married and raising their own family. And they, you know, there are people that realize that there's a, there's other connections that and they I didn't remember. even know about. It was shortly after we separated, I started like seeing another guy, like we were friends kind of transitioning into more. I was blown away. He had a debit card. I was like, whoa, yeah, you have, can I use it? Like, can I pay for something? Like I've never seen one before. He's like, right. what? well, You've you never... were financially abused. And in, mm -hmm. in my case, I handed over my paycheck. I'm very guilty of trusting my spouse with our family yeah. finances. And, and so I was told that our home, our beautiful home in suburbia was paid off the last 10 years. Well, after I filed for divorce, not only did I find out our home was in foreclosure, I found out that all our joint investments were 95% put in his name. He even wrote that out to, to our investment person saying, now all the, all the money is now 95% in my name. Is she gonna be able to have access to any of it? They're so money driven. And you know, I'll mm -hmm. tell you, I don't, I don't think about money at all. And as I'm a retired teacher, um, so, and I'm doing very, uh, you know, I'm living very comfortably and I'm an author now. So I've written these books, but it is not a moneymaker. I don't make a penny from these books, um, but it is a passion to bring awareness yeah. um, to these, to, to domestic violence and narcissistic abuse and parental yeah. alienation. And, and that is why I've written this, this, you know, five book series. And I've been so honored that you know, I've had major endorsers, people that are very well known in the abuse recovery field, mm -hmm. like even even um, Dr. Jennifer Harmon, who did an amazing TED talk on parental alienation, just trying to yeah. open up the awareness. I think that world. was when I realized what was actually happening, because it was Is hearing her. Yeah, I think it was her. But yeah, she, she's the she's the main one that did a TED talk, and that but was she endorsed my book. I mean, I reached out to her and showed her what I was doing, and she's like, "You are just doing an awesome job. I am That's definitely awesome. endorsing you." And and then there were other people like Dr. Sam Vaknin, who talks about abuse. I mean, he was actually a self-proclaimed narcissist, and he's a professor going on to to bring awareness to this and to try to help people cope with you know, all the different kind of dynamics that are involved in this. And, and so I'm just so thrilled with my book series that I've, I've reached out. Accomplishment. I'm I've trying to read, write a book now. It's mm -hmm. so hard. <laughs> it will, it's, it is hard, but also once you get going and if you're passionate about it, you know, and have some order and structure, I think my, my 35 years as a teacher kind yeah. of 
helped me. My biggest thing is I have like eight different perspectives that I've written in and I'm like, I don't know which one I want to do. Like, do I want to do a fiction? Do I want a memoir? Do I want like self-help? And I'm, I have all the different versions and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to record a podcast episode. I'm just thinking about that. (laughs) And, And actually writing isn't for everyone, but actually the writing that you did with all those different perspectives and viewpoints whether you know it or not, it helped you in your healing. Yeah. Oh, and, definitely. Yes. And, and actually, you know, I remember, you know, I, I was sharing with you that, you know, I, I just admire your strength and, um, and resolve and, and efforts with bringing awareness to abuse because it's so very much needed. But I also like, especially in listening to your, to your last podcast, which was, the why and the road, which just was so heartfelt. And, um, you know, I, I just, I need to go back and listen to it again. I mean, that's how powerful. Me cry. well, but it's, <laughs> it's true. I'll tell you you it was so powerful, your words. So, so maybe you're someone who doesn't need to write a book, you know, your podcast. See, I, was, I always was good at writing. And then, um, my advocate, I spoke at an event in 2019, sharing my story for the first time. And she's like, you're just so good at speaking. And I was like, and she's like, how do you do it? I'm like, I didn't know I was until I did. I I I I was a writer. Right. And I never felt like I was a speaker at all. In fact, I was extremely scared when I first started talking. Um, And actually, my first big talking engagement was almost like a two hour Um, presentation with the IONS community, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, because I wrote a spiritual fiction. My first literary work was a spiritual fiction called God Came to My Garage Sale, which Mm -hmm. is also my website, if anyone wants to check out any of the other books. And I'll link that in the description. Yeah, but it's God Came to My Garage Sale, and I was so honored it won the 2020 Best Books Award. And even that book was endorsed by James Redfield, who wrote The Celestine Prophecy. And Mm. both of us have found value in writing fiction. And I was also at the stage in my leaving my abuser that I was terrified about putting my own, I I debated about, do I even use a pen name or do I Uh use my real name? I had to make those decisions and, and I did choose to, to use my real name, but, you know, I remember not feeling comfortable as a speaker, but really more comfortable with, you know, a pad of paper and a pen or a computer. And now I have slowly found my voice where I can actually go on a podcast and talk about some of these challenging things where, you know, I wasn't comfortable with that at first, but I think all of us kind of find our niche, but at the same time, something that you said in your last podcast, really, um, I connected with, well, actually many things I connected with, even though our stories are very different, they all have a common thread to them. Yeah. Abuse is abuse is abuse is abuse. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, even though it can take on extremely different forms, but you, you made a comment about how, I think you were talking about, you know, um, your husband and him wanting to like get, you know, do a workshop in the garage, and, you know, to have some things that he is interested in. And then he said that you have a podcast 
And, um, and so that, you know, you do have a podcast and you were saying how great it is that you do have that, but at the same time, it's extremely triggering mm-hmm. to, you know, as like reliving as the is, trauma. Yes. You relive the trauma and, and you are questioning like the why in the road, should I really continue doing this or bringing up these topics? Is it, is it hurting me more by talking about it? Or is it, is the benefits for myself and then bringing awareness to other people more positive? So anyway, that really struck me when we were, when we, you know, when I was listening to your podcast, because I too have thought, okay, listen, I have done not only my spiritual fiction, but I have written a five book series and, and the books are all very unique. The first book is on terms and phrases. The second book is acrostic poetry, which uses those terms and phrases um, to really understand what they mean. And so when people can read these, they can kind of connect the dots to their own experience. The third book um, is a survivor's workbook. So hmm. if I've been looking that, for one of those. Yeah. So if people find that, um, if they find that writing is healing to them, they can look at this survivor's workbook and kind of come up with some of their own acrostic poetry. And then the fourth book is a free verse poetry book. And the fifth book, this is so weird, but it is a word search puzzle book. Because to me, the words, you know, reading them and reading all the related words to whatever the issue is, whether it's gaslighting or smearing or stonewalling or whatever the word is or the phrase, that can be very healing. And, and you have to find things that to do to help you cope with the stress. And I have found that writing and doing puzzles and, and that type of thing is very calming for me. So, but at some point, like you were saying, you know, you have to evaluate the trigger situation and whether whether it's helpful to relive some of these things, because you do, you hear someone else's story, you can see your own story in it. Mm -hmm. And so you do, you can't help but relive some of the things, um, you know, if someone's talking about, you know, they haven't seen their son or daughter for a while, well, then you put yourself in that position and realize yeah, I've been alienated for a long time. And, you know, unfortunately, these adult children are believing false information and lies. And, and yeah. unfortunately, it's, it's a sad situation, too. They and do. there's always that one person that says, oh, once they're 18, they'll come back. Oh, yeah. no, no. And no. I thought that and it's like, I because when I went into a psychiatric unit, And I wrote my daughter's letters while I was waiting. And when I got out, I put it into my email and I gave the one to my daughter on her 18th. I'm going to give the the other daughter on her 18th. But she's like, mom, you made me cry. She's like, I had no idea any of this. And I was like, you know, I didn't want to tell you while you were like, until you were able to leave if you wanted to. Right. It's 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 hard. But, but at the same time like in my situation you know my child that the first child I was alienated from was 20 years old you know so it, it's it's a hard thing to navigate so anyway I've 
I really am thinking about what you talked about, about the triggers. And at some point, you know, that maybe we need to just sort of take a break from all this and, mm -hmm. and focus even a little bit more on ourselves. I think I was driven to bring awareness. It was very healing for me to, to address these things and put it in writing form. But at the same time, I am slowly, um, you know, getting into rediscovering who I am and what I like to do. And, um, and just, you know, I'm, I'm leading a very happy life right now. And I think it could be even happier if I could maybe take a break from focusing on all of this. And so yeah. we need to, we need to follow our gut intuition, all of us. Mm -hmm. So there's a time for talking about it. Uh, there's a time for quiet reflection. There's definitely a time for the fight or flight and having to address things you have to, you know, um, we, yeah. we go through many different phases, but I think there's also a time for letting it go and trying to put some things behind us. Yeah. I think, um, cause I've lost a lot of, a lot of friends, I think over, over 40 in the past, like 12 years to the opioid oh crisis, it's really bad where I grew up, but it was like, the I mean, you're saying you physically lost them like they, have they, passed, they passed away, away yeah oh, and it's wow. it was like the grief was so consuming so I was like all right I'm gonna give the anniversary of their death that's the day I'm gonna be sad and that's right. the day I'm gonna let myself cry and it was after a while I was like huh it really helped with the grief I wonder if it'll help with the trauma too actually so you bring up a really good point you know my my life partner um it's hard to say boyfriend, even though he's a boyfriend, but you know, when you're getting into your seventies, it's, it's <laughs> you don't you look know. good. You guys can't see her, but she doesn't look a day over 40. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But he has taught me so many wonderful things. But one of the things that he taught me was to compartmentalize things. So yeah. that's very much what you did when you said, instead of just living a life of grief by losing so many important people in your life that you're going to just focus on, you know, their death date or their birth date, or, you know, you're going to pick a particular, you know, time that you will really do some reflecting. And that's extremely healthy to yeah. do that. And that's one thing that, that, um, that my partner has really helped me compartmentalize so much so that I've even gotten to where I can go through holidays now and not be sad yeah. or triggered well, but was that like a, was hard at first the yeah, holidays like, were very hard a few days ago my husband called on his lunch break he's like why are you crying I'm like it's my mother's birthday and he's like okay I'm like today's the day 60 some years ago that my trauma literally started it's the day she was born so I'm just letting myself be sad I'm yeah. fine he's like do you need me to come home I'm like I'm an adult I can handle it. Just, I right. just wanted to cry. Yeah. <laughs> so, but and that's okay. We've got to give our per ourselves permission, you mm -hmm. know, to, to cry or whatever, but we also need to give ourselves permission to, to do something for ourselves, whether it yeah. is to, to buy a little special something for ourselves, um, whether I it's bought eight turtles. You know, right. I know. And I, you know, I know that you like turtles and actually the island that I live on, you know, we are known for turtles. Is that an invitation for a visit? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Soft, 
I'll tell you the Caribbean is a very, very cool place. And yeah, I've and, been there not yeah, for good really, reasons, but yeah. Right, right. So if you're in a good frame of mind in a, a place, it's it's nice to be surrounded with nature and in their natural habitat. But what I was basically saying is it's important to give yourself permission to to treat yourself, whether it is taking a walk. You know, one of my favorite things to do is just to take a nice, hot, soaking bath. Mm -hmm. That is very, very calming for me. Even though I have the ocean here, I have a very inviting pool, um, and I love water, but I, there's just something about sitting in a, a nice, you know, soaking bath. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is like rewarding myself. So it doesn't have to cost money. It would just be honoring yourself at some yeah. point self-care is so important yeah and I know it's my husband's a vet so he has PTSD but he also has some childhood trauma too so on his nights off we watch tv and I'm like we're, let's just forget about who we are like I'm not yeah. the podcast sex trafficking victim podcaster you're not the grumpy old combat vet he is <laughs> a very grumpy old combat vet but it's like we have to kind of not like forget who we are, but just not be those people once a week. And it's, if we didn't, we would lose our sanity. Right. You've got to take a break and take care of yourselves. And, you know, um, unfortunately trauma takes a lot of time to work through. It's mm -hmm. not something that you get over. In fact, when you realize that someone has is still processing what they've been through and it's been 10 years, realize how severe that trauma really was. Yeah, I hit 13 years in September. And wow. it's I we were talking, we we're talking about my truck. We that for some reason September is when we have to register it. And I was like, oh my God, in five months it'll be 13 years. Yeah. I was like, that's crazy to think about. And I'm just like, it feels like yesterday. But it's but like you know I've grown have, so much. You have found your voice, you know, Kelly. You have found your voice, and and in you finding your voice, mm -hmm. and and being as as open and transparent as you are on your podcast, you are helping so many. Thank people. you. And it was and, hard. It was really hard for me because it was as a child they always made fun of my voice. I was always told like your voice carries, you're off tune, you're so loud, which is weird because I mean, I am a loud person, but um, I think I am too. I am too. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe that's a sign of a good survivor. If you I are. just, I look back and I was like, I wonder if they made fun of me so much to make me not talk. So it's like, right. right telling my story is like the best revenge and my like not revenge right. but the best way for me because it's like I'm using the one thing that they tormented me the most about right and abusers they do want you silenced oh, they yeah. want you silenced in fact abusers do not want the truth of who they are exposed mm -hmm. because your voice even if you're not directly pointing the finger at them the fact that you have gone through what you have gone through and, and I have gone through what I have gone through. People can connect the dots. And, but the reality is, is they don't want the truth exposed at all. Mm -hmm. They want that false narrative um, because if it's exposed, people will see their true colors. And, yeah, there's and too, 
two quotes about that that I love. One is sometimes the black sheep of the family is the only one willing to tell the truth. Yeah. And then I will not stay quiet so you can remain comfortable. Wonder that I know that one. Um, I just put that on my Instagram last week. I love it. Right. I I will not stay quiet so you can be comfortable. Mm. And and there's another quote, and I don't know it offhand, but I think that I've actually put it on my website. Um, But I don't know if you've ever followed um, uh, the, let's see, this one. I can't think of it. There's, there's other people that are coming out and, and talking about their abuse and they're putting it out there, but they are talking about, um, you know, that, that they have been silenced, but they are finally following, fo- they finally have found their voice. And, mm-hmm. and that's the worst thing that abusers want is for you to come into the realization about what has really happened and mm-hmm. then to speak about it or actually your silence can speak volumes too. So when you don't engage and, and get wrapped up into the That's drama. That's what's funny is I'm so loud on my podcast, but to them, I'm quiet. Right. I've been no contact for over a decade. But it right. was when I gave a speech at the anti-human trafficking organization, they did an event in 2019. It's where I actually spoke publicly for the first time. And it started off, they just wanted me to meet with like a journalist student and tell my story and they would write like a poem or something. And I said to the director, I'm like, you know, I kind of want to write it. And then after I wrote it and I was like reading it out loud, I could just picture myself saying it. So I, I, well, I hate saying called a meeting, but I asked them to meet with me and I'm like, listen, I think for my recovery, I need to be the one to say it. And he's very strict and doesn't want to exploit, like exploit the exploited, which I totally understand. And I've seen it a lot and actually have had it happen. But that first night, it was like I closed the book of victimhood and opened the book of being a survivor. And it's changed. I mean, it really did change my life. It was like a complete 360. I'm a whole different person than I was. It was November 5th, 2019 that I spoke. Wow. Wow. But it was amazing. It's, it was when I agreed to it, I didn't know it was going to be in a football stadium and we were going to be up at the top in one of the box things. And I'm terrified of heights. So before I gave the speech, I'm like, I am terrified right now because I'm so high. This is the most terrifying thing like I've ever done. And my husband laughed and everyone looked at him. And afterwards I was like, what did you, what did you think was funny? He's like, you said it was the most terrifying thing. And then went on to talk about how your parents trafficked you for 26 years. Pretty sure it wasn't the worst terrifying. I'm like, oh yeah. Well, you, you know, you are a survivor and a thriver. And I know I'm a survivor and a thriver. And hopefully with your voice and your podcast and my books, we can help give voice to other people that do not Mm -hmm. feel that they have their voice and that are slowly realizing their abuse. I've had so many people reach out like the one girl, Amanda, she just messaged me. Well, she emailed me out of nowhere. And it turned into her sharing her story for the first time on my podcast. And I'm like, see, this is what I want. I want my podcast just to be a safe place, you know, so people can come talk about their stories. I don't do videos. So it's semi-anonymous and right. Right. Yeah. 
It's like, I no, want to well, raise awareness, but I also want to help people find the strength that they already had. Cause it's like, looking back, I'm like, I had so much strength. Like they always oh, say, it takes a, they always say it takes a lot of strength to leave, but I think it takes more strength to survive right. and to stay than it does to leave. Not that it's not strong to leave. It obviously is, but it's a lot worse. It's a lot harder to stay and like survive all of that. Cause I mean, right. I could have, well, you make, you make some really good points and and I, I just think, and yeah, I'm not even the doctor. You're the doctor. <laughs> oh, that's, you know, trees uh, <laughs> I believe are overrated in many ways. It's not, you know, I, I'm a doctor of education. So that allowed me to teach graduate school, which is something that I wanted to. And, um, you know, so it was, it was definitely a work-related, you know, type, type endeavor, but, um, but it's, it's given me some credibility in that, you know, maybe people could look at that and say, well, gosh, if it could happen to someone who had a successful career and seemed to have their life all together, you know, then it's not so crazy that this kind of thing can happen to me as well. So, you know, but I, I just think your platform is wonderful. Thank you. And, and, you know, having these candid conversations are just very much needed. And, you know, we're not out to, you know, hurt other people or this isn't a complaining session or anything no. like that. It's just bringing awareness to the facts that, that have happened. And in the hopes that sharing our stories or situations can help inspire others to get yeah. free from their abusers. Yeah. Cause I just think, you know, cause I got, I mean, it's kind of personal, but I just got approved for a credit card and I'm like so wild about it like it's in my name and mm -hmm. I mean my husband doesn't get it like I never had credit because I never owned anything and I was just like this is so exciting and I just look back and I was like I was such a different person 12 years ago like 13 sure. years ago 20 years ago and it's like I should have had that moment when I was 18 or 19, but I'm having it at 39, but. Right, and you know, you can't go back and the would-haves yeah. and the should-haves, you know, it is what it is. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've actually believe that, you know, we are here on earth to learn these life lessons. Yeah. And, you know, um, that is part of who makes us who we are. Yeah. And, and I think it's all part of a journey. And, mm -hmm. you know, I used to even, even when I was younger, I would say, why, why do I have to be God's favorite pupil? Why do I have to mm -hmm. learn things the hard way? But I've never been anyone to really, you know, have a pity party for myself. Yeah. I really, you know, um, I, I have always been aware that there are people that have it so much worse than I do. Um, instead of always looking at the people that have you know, a much happier, peaceful life, you know, happy yeah. marriages and that type of thing. I don't think anyone really knows what goes on behind closed doors. I think mm -mm. now we're, you know, cause so much. Yeah, they of have this picture. Um, I've seen it on Facebook and it looks like a regular like wedding picture and it's a bride and a groom and you see them from the front. And then when they show the backside, the girl's arms like up behind her back and it's all bruised and he's yeah. holding on to it. And I was like, whoa. Right. Yep. 
Yeah. But see, I look at myself like 20 years ago and I was just an abuse victim. And then I was an abuse survivor. I actually didn't know I was sex trafficked till about six years ago. And I read a woman's blog that her daughter had been kidnapped by sex traffickers at a modeling shoot, I guess you call it. And Mm -hmm. Um, she and she went and got herself kidnapped to go into the sex trafficking world to find her daughter. And I ended up like reaching out to her and found out that it was actually my father that kidnapped her. Oh my God. It was so wild. And that's how I found out that it was actually sex trafficking because like in 2011, my husband was in Afghanistan and I just told him that they allowed their friends to rape me is how. I would describe it. It was like, I never knew. So I was like, I like when I got the credit card and got all excited, I was like a giddy little kid again. And then I'm like, wow, I can't believe like if I had gotten this when I was 18, like it wouldn't have meant anything, but now it it just means so much. Cause it's like, I've grown, I've fixed all the crazy things that they did with my credit. Cause they stole my identity. So it's just, it's just another, like milestone it's for a me. milestone yeah but, yeah but getting back really just briefly to what you were saying about how you put the pieces of the puzzle together and realized that it was your own father that was involved in this situation and you had no clue and then the light bulb starts to go on you know it it's it's amazing um when that light bulb does go on but it's, mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's um that's why you know we don't always realize we're in an abusive situation until, till we get that light bulb moment. Yeah. And it's like with my husband, he lets me pay all the, like, he lets me handle all the money. And I think he does it partly because he's lazy. Um, but he's not, he's like <laughs> no, the least lazy no. person, but I think it's because he knows I need that control to feel safe, but right, he right. still doesn't understand. Like the second our pay comes in, I pay all our bills. Right, right. He finally asked, he's like, why do you do that? And I'm like, so you don't snort it all up your nose, but you're not my ex. Right. <laughs> so right, right. it was like, I didn't even realize that that was a trauma response. Was- but you know what? I even have the trauma response when it comes to money. And even though mm-hmm. I have really, I, I, I shouldn't be, you know, have trauma responses at this point with the money because I was so financially abused and, you know, credit cards and, and were maxed out and put in my mm-hmm. name. And there were so many fraudulent things oh, that God. I just had no clue about. It, it took a while to even, I, I remember when I finally got a checking account, you know, a couple of years after I got divorced and I was scared to death to go into the bank and I didn't know how to do all that, you know, mm-hmm. and even though I'm, you know, an intelligent, accomplished person and, you know, I learned in junior high how to do a checking account. Um, I was always made to believe that, you know, um, I wasn't capable enough of doing that. And, and so money can be extremely traumatizing and the abusers use money to control you in so many yeah. ways. And I'm so thankful yeah. my husband is so supportive. I'm at the point now where I actually give him my debit card because we have separate accounts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here, just take it. I have money on my account. And he's like, whoa, yeah. you let me touch your money. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be watching. 
Yeah. But you know, he understands. He sounds, you know, he loves you very much and he understands what you have been through. And and that's, you know, um that that's priceless. You know, right there. That is priceless. He's an amazing guy. And I feel so fortunate to have found someone in my life as well. Um, Yeah. And and didn't even look for that, you know, or even want that. It just sort of all came to be and it was meant to be, I believe. Well, he was supposed to be my pen pal. Um, His best, I was friends with his um, best friend's sister. And she said, you know, this guy, he's a real good guy. He's in Afghanistan. Do you want to be his pen pal? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we oh, start, we were, oh. we talked every day for the final five months of his nine month deployment and then got married eight months after he got home, like to the date, eight months wow. later. So wow. yeah, I got real lucky with him, but we celebrate 10 years this year. Oh, and I'm congratulations. Like, Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, it's weird to spend a decade with someone that actually respects me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you deserve it. Thank you. Yeah, you deserve it, Kelly. You've been through a whole lot, and I'm so glad you have found your voice. And um, and I'm so thankful for your platform that you will bring people on to kind of share their stories, even if they are different. There are so many common threads. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on. And I'm going to end things as it kind of got a little long, but I always ask all my guests if there was one piece of advice that you could give to someone that is listening that's going through the same things especially with parental alienation what advice would you give them you know i would say stay true to who you are as a good person but really try to learn about what are red flags and how to spot them and realize that you you know if someone shows you who they are you know, with their behavior, believe them. Or if they Mm -hmm. even tell you, if they even tell you, hey, I lie, cheat, and steal, believe them. They Mm -hmm. do. Oh, yeah. That's awesome advice. I know my ex-husband cheated a lot, and it got to the point where I'm like, I told my husband, I was like, if you ever cheat, just tell me. I can forgive the cheating. I can't forgive the lying. (laughs) It's like, but um, I'm going to wrap things up there and thank you so much for coming on. And I want to thank my listeners for welcoming you just as much as they do me. And as always, thank you so much for the continued love and support. It definitely means more than anyone could ever know. And I hope y'all have a good day.